Welcome to Inclusionism. It is Sunday. It's 5.34 in the p.m. Welcome to Harlem. Um, welcome to my church where we like to say individuals are at their best when they identify with a community. And communities are only at their best when they identify all of their individuals. Uh, for more information, you can go to inclusionism.org. And this week, we have in the studio with us Professor Erwin Garfinkel. Am I pronouncing that? Yes. Right? Okay. Correct. Um, from, um, from Columbia's uh, School of Social Work, uh, thank you for coming uptown. My pleasure. Yeah. Uh, so we were just chatting uh, outside the studio. Um, uh, Dr. Garfinkel is a world-leading researcher on poverty and the welfare state, um, which is not exactly the same as, as just welfare. Um, and a go-to resource for policymakers uh, interested in anti-poverty programs at all levels of government. And uh, as you all know here, we talk regu- regularly about federal government, uh, state government, city government, um, and, uh, and the various sorts of, of municipal governments uh, here and there. And so uh, thank you again for, for joining us. This is just your second radio interview? Yes, it is. Wow, that's <laughs> that's fascinating. So, what you are you used to more TV, more like panel settings in general? Is that is that a thing? Yeah, I've done uh, congressional testimony. Yeah, uh, <laughs> not recently, but the uh, I, I don't think I no, I've done television a couple times. Too. Okay, TV a few yeah. times. Okay, yeah. so let's jump uh, right in. I'm going to save. Uh, you know, everyone who listens to this show knows that um, I like to talk about universal basic income arguably too much, but uh, or too much for them. Um, it's sort of one of my favorite topics. But before we go there, um, I'd love to define some terms. I think I was telling you outside, yeah. I was recently, um, I was giving a talk in, in Copenhagen uh, back-to-back with the prime minister around... Uh, insurance and in the welfare state uh what they call the welfare state i think what everyone calls at least from an academic standpoint the welfare state and but we were joking before about how it's a dirty word over here in the u.s and i can't use that language and um you know as they were telling me about you know their their education system and their health care system and the things that they pay for etc and so can we define a, a bit of terms first like what when you hear uh, welfare state, what does that yeah. what does that mean to you all in in academia? So the welfare state describes a combination of capitalism and socialism. Mm. So welfare states uh, are uh, the economy is principally capitalist, yeah. but there are large selected doses of socialism. Um, including in the United States. Uh, Health uh, insurance is uh, one example of that. So is free public education, elementary and secondary education, uh, universal health care, or employer-provided health care is also uh, part of the welfare state. Would you call that socialism? I'm just curious. Yeah, about, yeah. yes, okay. yes. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Glad you asked. Yeah. So, so I mean the employer. Think of, yeah, yeah, employer-provided health insurance. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's socialized health care at the level 
of the firm. So I work for Columbia University. Yeah. Everyone who is more than half time is covered with health insurance. Hmm. What, what does that do? It's a form. Uh, Employer-provided health insurance is really good socialized health insurance yeah. because for those who are covered, their costs are not zero but close to Hmm. Close to. Yeah. yeah. It, doesn't that sound like socialism? Something's free? Some, does, you don't pay the full cost? <sighs> it, and what it's socialized is at the employer level. Okay. The, and, and you have to understand that. That's why when we, uh, the people on the left, like Sanders hmm. and um, Elizabeth Warren, yeah. Uh, what's she run up against? She's run up against working people who are in good unions, strong unions, yeah. who like their health insurance. They've fought for that. Right. And um, it does the trick. Right. It does the trick. No, yeah, they like what they're getting. So, yeah. So um, they socialize it via those large institutions, whether they're public or private, that ex- they work for. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Mm. And not recognizing that. Is uh, which a lot of people don't. A sure. lot of economists, a lot of sociologists, a lot of political scientists. Yeah, they say we don't count the employer-provided health insurance. It's not part of the welfare state because it isn't all state. But think about it. Sure, it's the reason we have so much of it is that it is subsidized. So employees do not have to pay taxes on fringe benefits that they get in the form of health insurance. Right. And that's a subsidy to uh, the uh, workers. Right, right. Yeah, no, it's definitely, I mean, it's something that, yeah, I've enjoyed, well, multiple times before I started running for office uh, (laughs) in different capacities. And now I'm sort of footing the bill. But... um, so I think language is really important, and you're right. The way we use that language, I, I don't think that most Americans would think that their employer health care uh, or employer even education subsidies, right, because a lot of employers yeah. do some of that as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, they don't think about them as social programs, as socialism, as socialistic, and, you know, you know, I can't lie. As someone who is uh, who has been back and forth between the political world and the academic world and the business world, I am. I, I would like to at least think acutely aware of how people understand brands, and I'm I'm worried about uh, our inability to further brand the services that we're getting. And, and I also can't say that uh, that there's consensus in the party, at least in the Democratic Party, that is, about how we should be branding these programs. Should we further brand them as social programs or should we make up new language to, you know, provide a deeper dive? I don't, you know, I mean, what do you do? Is that stuff that your students talk about? Yeah. 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 Really? They talk about the branding and all that stuff? Um, well, I talk a little bit about the branding, yeah. and, and then it's in my book, Wealth yeah. and Welfare States. Yeah. So I make a very big, important distinction mm. between safety nets uh, and floors. 
Mm. And safety nets are welfare programs. Mm. Safety nets, think about what's a safety net? What's the visual imagery? It's yes, for someone who has yeah. fallen. Mm. It's for the fallen. Yeah. It's for those who fall. That's part of the reason uh, I think it's really important to say programs just for the poor, safety yeah. nets, are very different than universal programs that go to everyone. Mm. So if everyone gets it, there's no shame. Right. If everyone gets the benefit, there's dignity in it. It's like free public education. Sure. So, uh, which, by the way, so uh, the United States led the world mm. in, in the provision of mass free public education. Yeah. We led the world. Uh, we, Where are we now? Are we still... I mean, just per uh, volumes, but in, maybe not percentage. In terms of the rich world, yeah, we're still uh, in the lead. We're not the leader in education anymore at, yeah. at the higher education level. Right. Uh, I've Canada, seen a lot of that, though. Canada that, yeah. is ahead of us. Few of the Scandinavian countries have caught up and surpassed us. Yeah. Uh, in in uh, preschool education, yeah. we're, we're a laggard. We're, we're actually behind the rest of the rich world. And, and that is a word you use as well, laggard. Yeah. Yeah, and in the book and, yeah. and in general. Uh, well, we're, we're both yeah. a leader and a laggard. We've been a leader yeah. in uh, public education, elementary and secondary education, yeah. through most of the 19th and most of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Um, but where we, but, yeah. Uh, but the rest of the rich world caught up to us by the end of the 20th century, and um, or more or less caught up to us, and a few ahead of us, and went way ahead of us in preschool education. Well, I worry about that. Uh, about you know, just a general social reinvestment in people. You know, if, yeah. if they are our greatest resource, our they inability are. to invest in them is you know problematic dumb yeah dumb. it's just dumb. dumb it's just plain old dumb, yeah, dumb. okay all right i like what you're taking me yeah <laughs> i like this well, i'm gonna go where you go uh <laughs> so i was i was gonna avoid that but yeah it's yeah, dumb it's dumb and, you know and i i see it when i'm you know i travel quite a bit and um i'm worried i'm worried about how we compete in the world and how we understand what is a worthy investment or what a worthy investment is, you know, in, yeah. in this country and the people of this country. And I think the problem of right now is we have some fundamental disagreements about who's a citizen and who we get to invest in. Um, I was in an argument with a bunch of folks that I thought were progressive here in my neighborhood. And they were saying, well, come on, man, you can't really be for education subsidies for immigrants for undocumented immigrants i was like well and then they said the same thing about health care and i yeah, thought you know if someone yeah. comes to the country and they got a cold or any other you know more yeah, severe yeah. illness we want to provide services to make sure that it's not a you know systemic threat right i mean that's just yeah logical yeah. and they're like yeah but it's, it's just hard to it's hard to brand and so i think you know, we have some some deeper problems in this country about, and even in the city, about um, you know who's in and who's out, and that's tragic. And so, 
you know, as we as we try to figure out, you know, solutions to include more folks in in the services that we can provide, I really think it's necessary to sort of have a history lesson about where these services come from and 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 what they were. Um, yeah, when you talk about a floor, well, I just keep because I just left an event talking about it. I can't help but think about the way MLK used the word, you know, economic floor mm-hmm. when he was talking about, you know, guaranteed incomes. Um, so you see, well, well, tell me if you, if you see sort of a guaranteed income as a, the universality of it as, as an economic floor. Yes. If it's, or could it be a, a supplement? I mean, yeah. Oh, just yeah. go. Yeah. What do you think? So I think universality is critical sure. for, for me. Uh, universal means universal. Yeah. And, it's every, and yeah. it means everyone. Yeah. And, um, for me, that's essential because I would begin with uh, dignity. Uh, yeah, no, it's totally and, about dignity. And, yeah, uh, I would start with that. If everyone gets it, uh, there's no shame in it. There's also the economic incentive aspect, which people don't pay enough attention to, in hmm. my judgment. So, if you, uh, yeah, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so. If um, if you aid people with programs like food stamps, sure, like uh, even the earned income tax credit in the uh, phase out range, mm-hmm. um, uh, in the beginning the earned income taxes credit subsidizes wages, but once you're working uh, and making even relatively low income twenty sure. twenty five thirty thousand dollars, you're facing a fifty percent tax rate. In the earned in- because of the earned income tax rate credit, it gets reduced at some point for every extra dollar you earn, you lose 50%, 50 cents mm. of the EITC. That's a 50% tax rate. Yeah. Uh, food stamps, 33% tax rate. Mm. Uh, you compound those tax rates, people who are getting those benefits, it's really difficult for them to improve themselves uh, by working more, by getting a pay raise, because right. they're losing the benefits. Yeah, Not true with a floor. Right. Floor, you face the same tax rates everyone else faces. So there's no special tax rate because it's not a welfare benefit. It's a benefit for everybody. Have we ever... Uh, you know, just in this country's history or, or other places that you've that you've looked at and researched, have we have we had a floor before? Have we had some, anything close to it? Not cash. No, Not cash. We've done Services. except except um, for the agents. So you can think of old age insurance. Hmm. Old age insurance. Old age insurance. Di- okay. Disability insurance. Okay. All right. Health insurance. I'm more familiar with those. Terms. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Those are all universal benefits. Sure. You have to have participated and earned them. Sure. But once you are entitled to it, you get a universal. Right. Same, by the way, uh, education. Sure. Elementary and secondary education, they're, they're not, they don't depend on your income. Right. You get it. If you live in the area. If you're here. If you're, yeah, if you're yeah. here, if you you're get here. It. 
Yeah, well, again, I think it goes back to that that uh, citizenship idea. Who's yes. in? Who yes. gets the benefit? Yes. Even like exactly. the the social security folks. I get a lot of social security questions uh, on the campaign trail up here. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean that that that's its own program, and it has uh, its flaws. We could surely fund it a whole hell of a lot better. Um, beyond the sort of 130 plus k ceiling that it has to collect funds but you know aside from that uh and i'm trying to save this conversation but i don't know that i can when i think about the universality of a of an income guarantee i um i can't help but you know i think a thing that i say a lot is uh you know we shouldn't have to earn the right to live and but that brings in some really interesting philosophical questions about again who who are we you know providing the the resources of life to uh, are they Americans are they New Yorkers are they you know folks from the city so well, yeah let I mean, me let me give you an interesting way to think about yeah. this um connected to the environment mm. environment issue for a moment mm. so um uh, we could really use a carbon tax. Yeah. That would be a really good thing yeah. to have because we're putting too much carbon in the air. Sure. So you tax it, you get less of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, a very conservative group has proposed to give to have a carbon tax and give it back as a universal dividend. Oh yeah, and this is this is two former secretaries of state that were Republicans. Sure, um, George Shultz. Yeah, and yeah. Um, uh, oh gosh, I'm, I'm not familiar. Yeah, come in a minute. Uh, um, for Bush, he worked for Bush, Bush. too. Uh, w? Bush one. Oh, Bush one. Uh, yeah, Secretary yeah. of State Baker. Baker. James okay, I'm Baker. Like, yeah, a few. Okay, yeah. all right. So and two republic top Republican economists, sure. uh, um, Gregory Mankiw at Harvard and yeah. uh, Feldstein, Morton Feldstein, at uh, Harvard. I think Mankiw may be MIT. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, these are they're all Republicans. Yeah. These okay. are all Republicans. Yeah. And they put there out a lot this of Republicans proposal. For, yeah. It's a good idea. It's a good idea. Yeah. If you had a, an optimal carbon tax, what economists consider an optimal carbon tax, yeah. it would fund a dividend of about $70 uh, per month yeah. uh, for every uh, person. Every person. Every person. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Adult and child. Yeah, adult and adult child. child. Yeah, okay. adult and child. We'll now, go there. Now, yeah. let me tell you how you can get it up to 250 Okay, yeah, break it month. down. Yeah. yeah, for carbon. Uh, no, no. Okay. I would do the carbon. Oh, the 70 is just yeah, carbon. 70 is just carbon. Okay. And, and by the way, I, yeah. would, I would add yeah. a little bit of a uh, value-added tax. Okay. Because as the carbon tax works, yeah. it's going to bring in less revenue. Because we're going to have less sure. use, so we need another regressive tax, sure, um, to make up that difference. But hmm. I want to finance most of it from a progressive tax. Okay, and we already have the progressive tax, which is in the federal income tax. Right. Yeah. We don't have to raise the rates one iota. Right. Keep the rates exactly where they are, uh-huh. and just substitute for all the deductions. 
the personal deduction that's uh, like 14,000 I think per sure. and then itemized deductions right instead of having Trump them, has killed some of those anyway and yeah, yeah right yeah. well and it's, it's not just Trump yeah it, the democrats and republicans have been yeah. trying to simplify the federal income tax yeah often on in 1986 it's been a conversation for a while yeah. well in 86 yeah. we made some headway it was yeah. bipartisan but simplification is huge objective and it's a good objective sure it's a good objective I, but yeah, making it making it, yeah. it more progressive without raising rates uh-huh. is also really nice really good thing and you can no, of do course it, yeah you can do it by substituting fully refundable credits which is what a dividend is yeah yeah so substitute the ref- make the credits instead of deductions, make them credits, mm-hmm. make it fully refundable. That's like a child allowance and an adult allowance, universal sure. dividend. Sure. And that will get you up. You don't need to raise rates. All you need to do is convert those deductions yeah. I- into credits. Yeah. And you've got, you're up to 250 uh, per month per child, per adult in mm. the United States. Right, None. so a family of four would None. be... A thousand That's a, a thousand. A thousand, thousand a month. A thousand a month. All right, so I hear you on the, <laughs> on the regressive tax plus the progressive tax. Wait, so yeah. both of those just get us to 250? 250, yeah. Okay, all right. Um, and you've been writing... I guess we're just going to go here instead of <laughs> waiting for the second hour. It's, <laughs> it's already 5.55, so we'll... Yeah, we'll just... We'll power right through this whole thing. Um, so, yeah, so you've been writing on universal basic income, uh, a universal you know income guarantee, a big yeah. uh, basic income guarantee for for a while. How long would you say? How many well, years, start, decades? It's getting close to fifty. Okay. All right. So you've been talking. <laughs> all right. Hey, it's an old, old idea. So all right. So fifty yeah. years. Yeah. Um, I've only been here for a part of those years. Uh, I started. Right, and talking about this stuff maybe 15, yeah. one five years ago. So, in in your time and, and per what but, you've but seen. Actually, let me yeah. interrupt you for a second. Yeah. Despite the fact that I've been working on this 50 years, yeah. what I just told you, yeah. this plan, yeah. it's less than six months old. Okay, oh, uh, wow. So, I did not realize how close yeah. we are. To actually being able to do this sure. f- with the federal income tax, yeah. that if you just simplify it and make it more progressive, it funds five six sure. of a universal basic income of two fifty per month. That and I did not know that yeah. fifty years ago. I, I hear you. Yeah. So numbers are. It was definitely a conversation fifty years ago. Well, sixty yeah, years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, but I didn't. Yeah. Well, I'm slow. You know. <laughs> I was going to say, well, you know, well, some form of a guarantee will for families, which is, you know, used to be a, a code and, and a dog whistle. And, and the Nixon years yes. passed, uh, passed the U.S. Congress twice. Yes. Um, so it's definitely that something. That was yeah. income tested. That yeah. was not universal. No, yeah, right. Yeah. It wasn't universal, but it was a it was a cushion. And that's what I yes. mean. They they. They try to segment it off again to identify who's a citizen and who's not, who gets to participate yes. and who doesn't. 
But I think something you said earlier was also interesting to me because you make me think about, you know, FDR's use use of language around yes. welfare, the welfare state yes. as just as relief. Yes. Or, or the the safety net as relief. Yes. I think the the issue now with uh, people my age and younger, I'm 38. Uh, was at an event a, a couple um, days ago and someone was like, you're the oldest millennial. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I guess I'll take that in stride. But as we I think as we talk about ourselves, like in the, the event that we were in, um, a lot of folks younger than me have sort of grown up thinking about even relief as 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 not enough. You know, I yeah. think um, people, I took an Uber over here, people in the gig economy, people, you know, who have not found, you know, gainful, full-time employment that's satisfying, not only from a, an income standpoint, but also from a uh, social program standpoint. They're scared yeah. that they won't actually get... Uh, that job that they've been promised, even though there are more jobs in the system now than there have ever been, the problem is they don't pay anything. So yeah. <laughs> that long-winded rant moves back around to, uh, uh, you know what? I think we gotta take a, we're going to take a really brief break and come right back with, with an actual <laughs> question. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Yeah, we'll be right back. Do you wonder where you fit in these changing technological times? Is the system excluding you or including you? I'm James Felton Keith, inviting you to tune in to Inclusionism, a new code of equity, every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. I'll interview leading activists, academics, diplomats, and business people about what it truly means to be included in the 21st century. That's Inclusionism, every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. on WHCR 90.3 FM, The Voice of Harlem. Again, a very, very brief break. Uh, we're right back. Um, so when you, when, you, when you talked earlier about uh, the $250 um, income guarantee for every adult and child, um, do we think that, does that also start to punch into the, the general productivity of, of the economy. I think wh one place that where I'm concerned is we are more productive than we were previously. And I am worried about where that productivity goes. Who owns it? Who owns access to the contracts that uh, quantify that productivity? So, I mean, this, are, you, are your students, or is your research, are you all thinking about those sort of things at all? Uh, yes and no. Okay. All right, yeah. So um, I think um, the big, I would say a big focus of our students <clears throat> are, are what can be done Yeah. <clears throat> in in the short term. Sure, okay. And, and What's short like, term? Oh, next few years. Okay, next few next years. Next few years. All right. And um, uh, a lot of students uh, are interested in um, a child allowance which is a step in the direction of sure. universal basic income. I, like it. I would say that resonates 
with all the, not just students, but particularly students, sure, because they're thinking of uh, <laughs> they're in the childbearing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, are coming into the childbearing yeah that same group. Age. And, My friends, yeah, they're yeah, thinking about that. Yeah, and if you think about where's the biggest need, yeah, uh, where do we want to invest the most in sure. terms of future productivity? Sure, uh, it's with children. So, and we know, sure. we know that um, we now have very strong evidence, actually, mm-hmm. that uh, cash benefits are, are very productive for children. So, if the parents get, uh, and actually, it begins even before birth, the big in utero. Yeah. So we we had there's a, one of my favorite studies. Oh yeah, I'm like, what's the in utero? Yeah, break it down. Favorite yeah. studies is um, uh, they went back and looked at the precursor for aid to families with dependent children. It was sure. called Mother's Pensions. It was a state program, and it was for uh, mostly they were widows, yeah. but also eligible were divorced and never married mothers. And one state after another at the beginning of the 20th century, early sure. 1900s, passed programs until by the time the Social Security Act took place in 1935, there were like 40-some states already had mother's pensions. And the federal government just made it that all states would have these mother's pensions, and they called it Mother's pensions, okay. Yeah, it was called mother's pensions, but uh, then the next name under Roosevelt was aid to dependent children. And... In any case, this study looks at what happened to people in the different states if they got benefits versus didn't get benefits. And what's remarkable is, and they match records from the ones who got benefits. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you were entitled to a benefit if you were pregnant. That's the in utero. And the younger the child, yeah. the bigger the benefit to the child when they became an adult. So, younger meaning earlier in the in the womb. Or? Yeah, in the womb. So if you start, if you're nine month versus a six month, yeah. if you, well, if I you're first trimester. Know, I don't know thing. if they went that. I oh. don't think they were able. That's not <laughs> that. That's not an age. No, okay, no, right. it's in utero versus the first year, though. Right, right. Versus year five. Okay. And um, the biggest benefits were for the youngest children, including those not even born. And um, they earned, as adults, if they got the benefit, like 12, 13, 14 percent more in earnings as an adult. Yeah. More likely to graduate from high school, on and on and on. Healthier. Sure. Lived one year longer. And this was back. This was when? When? When was so this? We're talking it's, about 1910 to 1930. Okay. And then they looked. But that was at, a big deal back then. Yeah. An extra year of yeah. yeah, yeah. Extra year of life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wonder if hmm, it would be great if we rated success based on life, access to it, longevity in general. But that's yeah. that reflects productivity, though. Let me just say. No, no, I so agree. It's yeah. not, it's, Go. it's yep. great for the person who yep. lives longer. But they're also, if they're earning 13% more, yeah. uh, that means they're that much more productive. No, I agree. Uh, right, that's how they participate in the world. Um, 
I'm really fascinated by the word productivity in general. I wish we used it more in, in the political lexicon. But I think the most interesting thing about what you said is the, the differentiation of how we apply those funds. On One rhetorically was specific to the mother. The other is specific to the child as, yes. as an individual. Yes. That's a big difference, at least politically. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, and how we count uh, those people. Yeah, especially when we're thinking about it as reinvestment. I think the issue is we ag- we're agreeing still as a society that 18-year-olds aren't wise enough to make their own decisions. I mean, you can be emancipated, but you're still guided yeah. by some sort of legal body, uh, some sort of new, you know, corpus, whether it's a you know public corporation or it wouldn't be a private one. So, yeah. but when that's not there, it's a it's a person. It's that corpus right and so i think a lot of folks would go or just send the money to me the parents i mean again it's it's another can of worms it's another political conversation about who gets who gets the what so this uh, one of the reasons i think that child allowances are really attractive now yeah is that um we're actually uh very close sure very close to having it because now in the federal income tax, sure. we used to have deductions for children. Now we have tax credits for children, which are more progressive. Yeah. And the only progressive element in Trump's tax cut mm-hmm. was to increase the child tax credit from 1000 per child mm-hmm. to 2000 per child. Oh, I didn't know he, that he did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the only, I don't have any children. Yeah, it's the only progressive element in the whole tax cut, and it's not permanent, by the way. Sure. <laughs> yeah. It's the, it's the everything else was permanent except the one progressive element was not permanent. But if you build on that, yeah, um, everyone gets this uh, two thousand dollar tax credit. Yeah. Except for. A very small group of very rich people, yeah, and a very big group of poor people. So the poorest families do not get the two thousand dollar per child tax credit, yeah, because they don't have enough uh, tax liability to offset it. Right. So uh, a number of bills in Congress, um, including have. Uh, propose that we extend that tax credit to the poorest children, and actually, forty-six of the forty—is it eight? Forty-eight Democrats yeah. or forty-seven? Oh, in the in the Senate, in the Senate right now. Yeah, yes, whatever it Seven. is. Seven. Yeah, all but one. Yeah, are now signed on. Yeah, as co-sponsors. So, if the Democrats were to win, yeah, the House and the Senate and the presidency. Yeah, we would. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, so right. No, if. we do a lot of nice big things, if. right? Big yeah, if. if. But if we but do, and, and, and that's yeah. cheap actually because yeah. the bulk of the population already gets it. So when you're asking my my students are very idealistic. Good, but they're at the same time they're technically philosophers. So, very you know. practical. Yeah, and uh, we're. Uh, I'm glad to hear you're running for office. The, uh, it's the they're, work they're we have interested. to do. It. They're interested. I'd love to come and talk to them now that I know you all are, you know, around the corner. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess 
again, I'm I'm most interested in how we distribute value. So yeah. I'm a I'm an engineer at my core. I was an engineer first. I was a mechanical engineer. Yeah. So for me, if there's ever if there's not a a good physics analogy for a thing in my book, there's no good way to talk about it, <laughs> right? Okay. But as I sort of transitioned into economics and uh, you know into uh, the markets, I'm a I'm a huge markets fan. I think it's the, the most interesting sort of social experiment we've ever spawned in. Our ability to forecast our optimism is is awe inspiring. But the main reason I was interested in the markets as my career transitioned at the end of the 2000s uh, was really because I was trying to figure out how to distribute value or watch it in the same way that engineers watch energy. Mm-hmm. So we look at particles have friction, whether we're talking about mechanical or electrical or chemical bodies. And per that friction, energy proliferates. And so I'm looking at value uh, in a less abstract way, in a tangible way like that of energy. It cannot be created or destroyed, but it can change form. The forms that it's in right now, I think, are you know, a bit lopsided. I'd love to <laughs> melt those a bit to stay on analogy. But, uh, but I am looking at particles as data now. So I'm looking at data not necessarily as the new oil, but the new everything. And I'm thinking, even if we don't put a data point on every moving particle, but uh, it's inferred, then we can watch transactions happen. That's friction. And then value proliferate. And the reason I'm in politics and, and have been really for the past, you know, six or seven years is because I've been arguing with everyone about how we distribute that value, who gets to own it. So it's partially a legal conversation, partially an economic conversation, partially an engineering conversation, because now we have this rare opportunity to tell stories per the evidence that we have, which is, which is our data. Um, and so when I think about universality, I am most excited about universality and even universal basic income because of what it means rhetorically. Not actually for what it means financially, but the idea that people should have a sense of dignity in their participation, I think that's the real opportunity for us. And then however we fill in those blanks, whether they're with progressive or regressive taxes, is something that I think we should be available to come together and work on in legislative bodies. But the question I want to ask you is about really what I'm seeing on the internet these days, what I'm seeing on Twitter. I'm seeing progressives argue with other progressives, some identify as democratic socialists, some don't, about uh, what is regressive and what is not. I'm specifically seeing a guy, a friend of mine, a guy I know named Scott Santens, argue with someone else I know, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, on Twitter about if Andrew Yang's universal basic income is regressive or not in the details of his policy delivery purse website. Yeah. And I don't know, do you have any? I do. Okay. Yeah. I, I love that. Yeah. Any, whatever do. you think. I'd love so, that. Um, yeah. I'm, all I'm really glad yeah. he's uh, pushing universal basic income. Yeah. Um, the, there's some aspects of it that are uh, very regressive, the financing. Sure. So the principal financing is a value-added tax. It's yeah. a bit of a carbon tax. Yeah. But the most regressive aspect of the financing is that he would, in effect, tax all existing welfare benefits at 100%. So you yeah. have to choose 
between the welfare benefit. Yeah. So if you're getting more in welfare, which most people aren't, right. but there are some. So if you're in public housing and getting other benefits, right. you could be getting more than 12000 a year. Right. So, um, but that you, directly affects my like East Harlem is in my yeah, district, and it's yeah, more public housing yeah, there than yeah. anywhere in the country. And and it's a problem. Well, and one of the and the universal basic income that I favor, which yeah. is a small, much more modest, sure, um, would not be uh, taxed. That it would not be counted as income mm. for the purposes of the termination of welfare benefits. Mm. So it's like giving the poorest people that amount of extra money yeah in addition to whatever welfare they're getting and back to your uber driver mm, yeah, yeah so your uber driver would be getting this it won't make his the uber job better right uh, that's a different problem and we need to attack sure. that too i agree but it in the meantime it makes his or her life <laughs> better uh, and that makes them less dependent on Uber. Right, right. Yeah, and I think, yeah, so many people, right, well, they're driving it now because, you know, they yeah. really need to. They really yeah. have to. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they are propping up the valuations of those firms. Yeah, so I'm I'm with you on that. So back to yeah. Yang, though. So you, oh, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. So we, we did a, um, a, we've got a research brief that looks at, uh, a yang type proposal oh and finances it and says what if it's financed uh we simplified a little but it's very sure. similar and uh to what yang is actually proposed sure and in terms <laughs> of child poverty yeah in terms of child poverty because of the regressive aspects of the financing yeah and because there's no child benefit. It's just adults. There's no way to make them whole again. And, yeah. and it actually winds up reducing child poverty hardly at all. And in some cases, actually increases, increases. child poverty. So if you're a single mother mm -hmm. and you've got a lot of kids. Yeah. Like, well, not a tremendous amount. I think it's like what's a lot? Three, three. I was going to say. Yeah. I think even I think three. three go, yeah. I think even three or four. Yeah. Uh, you actually are worse off because the taxes that you're going to pay, mm. all you're going to do is get twelve thousand in benefits. Yeah. And let's say you're not in public housing. Let's say you're just getting uh, food stamps. Sure. And maybe the earned income tax credit, and maybe. Uh, uh, some some uh, well, you could uh, let's say heating subsidy. Uh, sure. There's energy. Uh, you you could lose enough of those benefits. Yeah. Uh, let's say it's only six thousand bucks. Yeah. I'm just making these numbers up. No, no, I but, hear you though. But yeah. that's an example. You're a single mother. You're getting six thousand in welfare benefits. You would get the twelve thousand basic income. But your taxes, mm. value-added tax and the uh, carbon tax, would come to 6000 or more. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that, that's an example. Uh, I, 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 and I, my, the, I may be a little off in that example. No, what you, I do yeah. know, though, is that overall actually makes a number of people who you don't want to make worse off 
they are worse off. Right, the people at the, yeah. At the very bottom who are getting benefits. The closest to the bottom. No, you're right. Yeah. I mean, and a lot of, you know, other peers and friends are sort of, they're there where where you are. I was talking to Glenn Weil, who was also at Princeton for a while. Uh, He wrote an interesting book called Radical Markets. Uh, He's an economist, but we wrote it with uh, Eric Posner, a lawyer out of Chicago. Uh, yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, yeah, they... They agree. Jaron Lanier out at Berkeley, uh, the tech philosopher, you know, agrees. And my my biggest grief with any of this, again, I'm super excited that this is even a conversation because I remember ten years ago they were they were laughing at you know folks like me saying we need a universal you know income we need a guarantee. I was trying out different words, uh, but um, where I'm most troubled is. Um. Yeah, how do we pump up the benefit, uh, make it progressive? Like, look at some of those hyper progressive taxes uh, to cut into again the productivity in the economy. I feel like at this point in democratic politics, even as everyone in the in the field, whether they're you know running for POTUS or something else, they're all talking about playing with the same pot of money. And I guess where I am and, and what I'm most passionate about, even what I'm most angry about, uh, the, the thing that I'm managing, <laughs> is I'm frustrated in that we're talking about the same pot hmm. when I think that there's, there's more money available, there's more in the system uh, that's available to us on an annual, on a quarterly, on a monthly, on a daily basis. Uh, as someone who is watching the markets and I need to to sort of stay afloat and keep the lights on, uh, I'm seeing transactions happen. And I'm wondering if if you all over at at Columbia or if any of your students, if they're looking at, you know, other pools of value to tap into to sort of expand social services altogether, the floor and the net. Um, safety net that is yeah. is that uh, are these conversations that folks are having or you know what's in you all's well, world how, how yeah, is it how's uh, it going <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's not just in my world but yeah. I think uh, so I think Elizabeth Warren has made a great contribution yes with her proposal for a wealth tax I'm a fan and, uh, yeah yeah it's a uh, and the idea that um, uh Maybe it's true that she's overestimated the revenues somewhat. Maybe, uh, yeah. and it is definitely true, there are some aspects of wealth that are difficult to evaluate. Sure. But most of wealth isn't difficult to evaluate. You're absolutely right. The yeah. stock market is huge, huge. Yeah. For the people who are super wealthy, Yes, they're mostly in stocks. Yeah, they are. Uh, and, and if we miss... Some of their paintings. Yep. Um, that wouldn't be tragic. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. I've I could been a lot of parties that. on Park Avenue. There's a lot live, of that I artwork. Could, yeah. I could live with that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. so that's an important source of revenue. Yeah. I think I think the um, I, I think a, a carbon tax. Yeah. Is a good idea, and I think a value added tax, even though it's regressive, it's nearly. As regressive as a carbon tax. Sure. But if it's financing universal benefit, yeah. uh, and uh, by that I don't mean just cash, but sure. I think um, 
eventually, I think we do want to have universal health care. Yeah. Uh, I, I, that was actually my dissertation. Oh, really? Was when a, was that? What, what year was, uh, was that? 1970. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm, yeah. So, I'm geeking out a little bit. Anyway, for folks listening, <laughs> I did see two calls come, but we, you all already know the deal. I'm, I'm, yeah, email us. But yeah, so nineteen. You were talking about a universal health care yeah, yeah, in uh, in yeah. nineteen seventy. Yeah, I got here in eighty one. So yeah, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> that's really cool. Well, it yeah. was. And and here's the thing: it's not just it's not just a liberal idea, and not, yeah, and not just a good idea because um, there are people who aren't covered mm-hmm. that we need to cover. That's a shame. We should be ashamed. But there's also stupidity involved. Sure. And, and so I want to go back to what I said earlier about uh, employer-provided health insurance. Mm-hmm. That socializes health care in the following sense, that the people, when they go to consume health care, they don't pay for anywhere near the full cost. Now, that's what we want. Yeah. That's exactly what we want. But we have to pay for that. And the way the other and if you make something free, mm. people will demand more of it and consume yeah. more of it so it's more expensive. The way the other countries, rich nations have done this uh, is they have put limits on how much they will spend on health care. Mm-hmm. We can't do that because we've socialized it in such a decentralized manner. Mm -hmm. So employers are almost half the socialization. And there are millions of them. Yeah, there are. It's 5.3 million. Yeah. Yeah. Some tiny companies that don't have health care. But yeah. 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 But um, and then you've got you've got Medicare, you've got Medicaid, you've got veterans program. We have even in the public, even where we have socialized it the old fashioned way and it's centralized, it's still different programs. Sure, Medicare, Medicaid, veterans. Yeah, if you have one universal program. Then you have transparency. We're now spending 18 cents mm. out of every dollar that we earn annually. Yeah. 18% is going to medical care. Yeah. That's not sustain, And it's growing. Sure. And if we don't do something about it, it will be in 20 years more like 30%. Mm. That's suicide. That's yeah. stupid. That's stupid. stupid. That's stupid. And the I other, like your <laughs> yeah. other rich countries yeah. are getting better medical care yeah. overall than we do. But even if it were just equal, yeah. they're spending half as much. Yeah. Now think about that. Is that smart? No. Yeah. No, I mean... So we've we've got to wrap up, but uh, I feel like this is a conversation I could have for for ten hours in a row. I hope that this is just the beginning. I, I'd love to, you know, now that I know you're here in Manhattan, if if you come back. Um, but um, so, oh my gosh, yeah, so many places I want to go, especially around universal universality, yeah, dignity. You know how we control costs. Um, uh, in general, I like that you were tumbling down the the healthcare 
rabbit hole, which seems to be the number one national issue. Even though I think locally for folks like me, I think the number one issue here is housing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, now I'd love to keep the conversation going. Is where can we? Is there anything new to you that you're working on now? I know you've got a bunch of students coming in the spring who are going to be working on their dissertation. No, these, oh, they're not going to be working yeah, on the dissertation. It won't be a dissertation. It'll yeah. be a term papers oh, okay. that will look right. at the uh, not costs at the and benefits yeah. of UBI, oh, of really? child allowances, okay. of uh, expanding food stamps or expanding the earned income tax credit. And are these all there? Are these uh, folks getting their PhDs in, in economics or social, social work? work. Social okay. work. Social yeah. work. And so they're, this is just one economic play. The cost-benefit analysis yes. class yes. is just one tool in their toolbox. Correct. Well, well, thank you for sort of for doing that work, for keeping them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, someone has, I mean, really, I'm, I'm always fascinated with what academics are doing because you all are the ones sort of fueling our, our brain trust, the people that we yeah. defer to to say we respect at least what they think, even though some of that's being diminished. So, so I th we have a, a poverty center at uh, Columbia yeah. where we published the research brief that I uh, mentioned earlier. That um, So it's the uh, Center for uh, Poverty and social policy mm -hmm. at Columbia University. The Center for Poverty and Social Policy. Yeah, Columbia University, and our research briefs are on there. Mm. Our, we uh, we work with the Robin Hood Foundation. Oh, I know Robin Hood. Yeah. Yeah, and we we're studying we're studying um, poverty and disadvantage in New York City. Yeah. And so we publish with them the Poverty Tracker. Mm. And uh, you can Google Poverty Tracker as well. So th those are two places you can find uh, my work. Also, Wealth and Welfare States um, is America, La U.S. Leader Laggard. Uh, that's a book <laughs> that I've published. Came out in 2010, yep. 2010, yep. So we get the 10-year anniversary edition next, yeah, in a month. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yeah, so... We're going to publish all of that on the on the website at inclusionism.org on this next podcast. But, um, Professor, thank you for, My pleasure. for, for coming in and hanging out uh, on this, I think, our first snow day of yes. the year. So yes. It's been fun. Yes. Thank you. It's, it's been fun for me. I'm, I'm sort of geeking out. <laughs> so we'll, we'll be back. We'll be back next week, folks. Thank you. <laughs>